Unless you live on another planet, which is exactly what Elon Musk wants us to achieve, you probably heard about the congressional hearing about anti-Semitism with the presidents of three Ivy League universities, University of Pennsylvania or UPenn, Harvard, and MIT. And what happened since then, including the clarification, in quote marks, and resignations later, not in quote marks. And I think that this story has not ended yet. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I'm unbiased on the issues of anti-Semitism, especially because I'm Jewish, or the October 7th attack or the war in Gaza, because I'm Israeli. But in this episode, I'm not going to talk about those or voice my opinions. And trust me, I do hold strong opinions on all of those. Instead, in this episode, I want to discuss this vicious cycle of insincere apologies that became so rampant in our culture and how the elements of the relative trust model plays in this cycle and causes the decline of trust right after this. Welcome to The Trust Show. I'm Yoram Solomon, your host, the author of The Book of Trust and facilitator of The Trust Habits Workshop. My mission is simple. I want to help you form habits that build your trustworthiness because the answer to this question will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? To give it some context, uh, assuming that you haven't seen or heard this before, I want to start with the congressional hearing that took place on uh, December 5th last week. I I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I'm going to focus on one very specific section that, that made it to the news uh, for the most time. I actually did go through the entire transcript of the entire hearing, and I watched a much bigger part than this one. But I want to give you a small part. In this part, uh, Representative Elise Stefanik uh, from New York uh, asks this. These are direct quotes from the transcript. Miss McGill. Miss McGill is Liz McGill, the president of uh, the University of Pennsylvania, or UPenn. Miss McGill at Penn. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rule of rules of conduct or code of conduct? Yes or no? Liz McGill, the president of UPenn, answers: If the speech turns into conduct, conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. Representative uh, Congresswoman Stefanik says, "I'm asking specifically." calling for the genocide of Jews. Does that constitute bullying and harassment? McGill responds, if it is directly directed and severely pervasive, it is harassment. Uh, Congresswoman Stefanik asks, so the answer is yes? To which President McGill answers, it is a context-dependent decision. I can't even begin to tell you how many memes with the word context came out um, since then. I'm, I'm going to bet that uh, while, um, who was it that just found that Riz, R-I-Z-Z, uh, is the new uh, word of the year, um, I'm going to guess that the word context is going to be the next word of the year. Uh, well, okay, I'm, I'm getting a little facetious. 
a day later came a clarification. And the clarification came in a short video from uh, UPenn President uh, Liz McGill. And again, this is, I'm reading directly from the transcript of that video. There was a moment during yesterday's congressional hearing on anti-Semitism when I was asked if a call for the genocide of Jewish people on our campus would violate our policies. In that moment, I was focused on our university's long-standing policies aligned with the U.S. Constitution, which say that speech alone is not punishable. I was not focused on, but I should have been, the irrefutable fact that a call for genocides or Jewish uh, of Jewish people is a call for some of the most terrible violence human beings can per perpetrate. It's evil, plain and simple. I want to be clear, a call for genocide of Jewish people is threatening, deeply so. It is intentionally meant to terrify a people who have been subjected to pogroms and hatred for centuries and were the victims of mass genocide in the Holocaust. In my view, it would be harassment or intimidation. For decades, under multiple Penn presidents and consistent with most universities, Penn's policies have been guided by the Constitution and the law. In today's world, where we are seeing signs of hate proliferating across the campus and our world in a way not seen in years, these policies need to be clarified and evaluated. Penn must initiate a serious and careful look at our policies, and Provost Jackson and I will immediately convene a process to do so. As president, I'm committed to a safe, secure, and supportive environment to all members of our community, uh, so all members of our community can thrive. We can and will get this right. Thank you. And, and needless to say that uh, later she has resigned, and the uh, board president who uh, supported her uh, did resign as well. Uh, I should also mention probably that uh, this came after several, one, lawsuits, and two, major donors who decided that they're going to pull their money from some of the Ivy League universities. This has to be in that context. Now, by the way, uh, just to, again, if, if we're going to talk about that seriously, then we probably need to actually look at UPenn Code of Student Conduct. So this is coming straight from the UPenn Code of Student Conduct. Section 3, Responsibilities of Student Citizenship, paragraph D, to refrain from conduct towards other students that infringes upon the rights of student citizenship. The university condemns hate speech epithets, and racial, ethnic, sexual, and religious slurs. However, the content of student speech or expression is not by itself a basis for disciplinary action. Student speech may be subject to discipline where it violates applicable laws or university regulations or policies. So it's kind of, you know, on one hand it says you, you are prohibited, you condemn hate speech, but the question is, is it, does it require disciplinary action? Does it really constitute? So, you know what? I'm not 100% sure that the current uh, code of conduct does prevent hate speech. It says it condemns it, but it doesn't prevent it. It doesn't 
it's not the basis for disciplinary action. By the way, Harvard University was there as well. So I looked at Harvard universities too. Uh, that's actually even more complex. Uh, I'm, I'm going to the Guides for Free Expression, Open Debate, Protest, and Dissent. Um, Harvard School uh, strives to nurture. I'm, I'm going to skip parts here and expect each of his community to contribute to affirming, respectful, and inclusive environment for learning and working. We do not encourage or protect harassment or discrimination. Yet, our commitment to freedom of expression is by nature entails uh, by its nature, entails tolerate, tolerating some speech that members of the community may receive as offensive or harmful. Although this expression may feel deeply injurious to some who hear it, it is nevertheless protected and permissible speech unless it takes on a character that violates University of School policies on harassment, discrimination, or bullying. So that pretty much says nothing. So let's look at the policies on sexual and gender-based harassment. Harvard University non-discriminatory policy and the um, bullying policy, by the way, it's a pardon my language, it's a freaking 21-page document, which, by the way, you have to go through three different websites just to get there, that, that brings a whole different issue. And that is, do you write those policies to do the right thing? And, and this, this goes into the fundamentals of trust. Do you do those things? Do, do you have those policies to do the right thing? Or do you do this to... Once again, apologize for my language, to cover your ass. And so many policies are created just to cover your ass. You know, when I served on the board of a public school district, um, I remember once that uh, I asked, I found out that teachers had to sign a document every year. That document says, I read, I know and I will abide by all the school district policies, and I understand that uh, violating any of those policies can result in my termination or um, anything else and any other actions taken against me. And I asked how many pages of policies we have, and the best estimate that I got was that we had about 1,500 pages. Do you want to tell me that everybody reads those 1,500 pages when they sign it? No, they don't. So why do they sign it? Because the district wants to cover its ass. Period. So the Harvard University policy, 21 pages, after three different websites that I had to go through as a potential student. And no, I'm not a potential student in Harvard. I think I'm done learning. Uh, here, I, I found this section. This policy and its accompanying procedures apply when alleged conduct occurs. One, on Harvard property, including Harvard email or computer systems, or off Harvard property, including conduct using social media or other non-Harvard online platforms if A, the conduct directly involves a university program, university-recognized program or activity, or other work-related activities such as attending a conference, conducting research in the field, providing expertise to policymakers, uh, presenting a talk in another institution, and the conduct may have the effect of creating a hostile or abusive work or learning environment for a member of the university community. So, you know what? I'm not practicing law. I'm, I'm not a lawyer, even though I do hold a law degree. And I can tell you that probably every lawyer would find a way with defending anti-Semitism 
and, and statements like from the river to the sea. And by the way, one of the worst things that I heard after that was that people chanting from the river to the sea didn't even know what freaking river we're talking about or what sea we're talking about. And quite a few of those students thought that the sea was the Caribbean Sea, which is nowhere near Israel. Uh, their bullying policy, still in this 21-page document, says bullying may include but is not limited to the following behavior. Abusive expression directed at an individual or individuals, such as derogatory remarks, epithets, and ad hum <laughs> uh, attacks that are uh, outlined, I'm sorry, uh, hum homunem. I'm not even sure what this word means, but I'm sure that a freshman student would know uh, that are because they don't know where the Mediterranean Sea is, uh, that are outside the range of commonly accepted expe expression of disagreement. So I would say that calling for genocide is probably falls within that definition of uh, uh, outside the range of commonly accepted expressions of disagreement, disapproval, or critique. Okay. I think it's enough here uh, to reach several conclusions. First of all, the policies are made to protect the universities, not really to guide the students. Guiding the students should be done a lot simpler, a lot clearer, and with a lot fewer loopholes. But I'll get back to uh, what the president said, but not before. I want to touch on one more thing, and that's follow the money. Once again, I'm not trying to voice a position, but I found research, and, and there are multiple sources for that research, that states the following, and, and I'm reading word for word. Between 2014 and 2019, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates donated at least $4.4 billion to numerous U.S. colleges, together with, uh, with donations from other Middle East nations, over the five years in question, more than five billion were donated to American universities from authoritarian Middle East nations. And, and there's a breakdown and Harvard received $894 million, MIT received $859 million, and those are two of the three universities that participated uh, in, that, um, in that congressional hearing. Uh, th that article further goes to say that about seven of the 18 total billion donated uh, were not really um, accounted for. We don't know where they came from. Now, do you think that when money arrives at a university, it comes, especially when we're, we're not talking about thousands, we're not talking about millions, we're talking about billions now. Do they come with no strings attached? Typically, they don't. There is a reason why they arrive. And at one point, that reason comes up. Let's move on. Let's uh, start talking. Let's talk about this cycle of apologies. So I went to, uh, uh, I, I did a Google search for the top apologies, and I found several of them. So I want to give you uh, a few of them. So there is the Kanye West. I, I know I'm, I'm going to be all over the map with those apologies. Kanye West, if, if you remember during the 2009 MTV Video Music Awards, uh, when Taylor Swift was, um, who, by the way, is the person of the year this year. 
uh, by Time Magazine. But when she accepted her award, Kanye West jumped on stage, hijacked the microphone to acknowledge Beyonce for receiving her award. And that was unacceptable. And then he later apologized, apologized to Taylor Swift on several different venues. Bill Clinton. We all remember that one. You remember when he came on TV, looked me straight in the eyes and said, I did not have a sexual relationship with that woman. Which, by the way, he was right. He did not have a sexual relationship with that woman. Um, It wasn't a relationship, which later he even refuted that one but but his point was i'm not lying it wasn't a relationship now you may think that what i meant was i never had sex but that's not really what i said so this is when we start um mincing words we're starting to split hairs and and then later when this thing did blow up he said indeed i did have a relationship with miss lewinsky that was not appropriate in fact it was wrong I misled people, including even my wife. I deeply regret that. So that was his apology. Tiger Woods had affairs, uh, extramarital affairs. And then he felt that he needed to apologize. And he said, I have let my family down and I regret those transgressions with all of my heart. I have not been true to my values and the behaviors uh, my family deserves. I'm not without faults and I'm far short of perfect. You know, the last two makes me think that men really think with other organs in their body than their brain. And, you know, I'm I'm a man, so I'm probably sometimes uh, subject to that. But I never got to definitely not to the point of where Bill Clinton and Tiger Woods is. And by the way, they're, one of the reasons I've been married to my wife for over 30 years now is because we trust each other and because we never lie to each other. Whoopi Goldberg, you may remember that a couple of years ago uh, on her show, TV show, The View, said that the Holocaust wasn't originally about race. And then that thing blew up. And then she issued an apology and she said, on today's show, I said the Holocaust is not about race, but about men's inhumanity to men. I should have said it is about both. As Jonathan Greenblatt uh, from the Anti-Defamation League, ADL, shared, the Holocaust was about the Nazis' systematic annihilation of the Jewish people who they deemed to be an inferior race. I stand corrected. And then she adds, uh, the Jewish people around the world have always had my support and that will never waver. I'm sorry for the hurt I have caused, written with my sincerest apologies, Whoopi Goldberg. That's what she said. Now, these was, were only some of the apologies. And, and I'm sure that some of the apologies are really sincere. But I think that what we're seeing here is we're seeing a very vicious cycle that involves other reasons for people to apologize. So let's talk about that cycle and and what happens in that cycle. The cycle really starts with bad motivation. You know, this is why did you say what you did? And, you know, I find it really hard to believe that people do that um, and and they don't really believe what they said. I, I find it hard to, to believe that. So what are the motivations? Were the motivations of 
the universities to not, um, really the university presidents to not say that, yes, anti-Semitism and calling for the annihilation of Jews or another Holocaust uh, it goes against the policies, university policies. I mean, do you really believe that? And and I don't know that the money received from uh, some, uh, how did the article refer to them? Authoritarian Middle East countries, which by the way does not include Israel, that the money that they've received to the, to the extent of billions, did that have anything to do with what you said? I don't know. But typically, when you and and this the motivation to do things, the motivation to say certain things, and the fact that other people are affected by it and are hurt by it, is really an issue of personality compatibility. That this is when when I'm applying the the trust model. But this is an issue of personality compatibility or personality incompatibility. And, and that includes the motivation to do things, the values that people hold, the intentions, and those are more important than the actions themselves. So we're starting with the motivation to do something. You, you know, with all due respect, um, when Kanye West uh, did what he did, his motivation was to uh, recognize Beyonce, and he didn't care about Taylor Swift, period. When Bill Clinton said what he said to us, his intention was to mislead us. I'm, I'm sorry, that's his words later in his apology. He said that what he did was misleading. And he didn't happen to be misleading. He was intentionally misleading. So we're starting with the motivation, with why you're doing things. And that's critical. And this comes from a personality incompatibility with the person to whom you're doing the wrong action. We're going to call it the wrong action. So the second step is that you actually do a wrong action. You perform a wrong action. And that's just the action. You know, it's hard to judge people's motivations and intentions and values until they came out as actions or words or statements. And so tell me that you know, tell me that that this was uh, not driven by intentions. Now, you may do something and simply be wrong and, and recognize it. But, but when I looked at the body language of those three university presidents, you know, I, I want to, to point out a friend of mine, Melinda Marcus, and, and I consider her to be an expert in reading and, and deciphering body language. Um, and one of the things she once told me was, you look at a video, turn down the sound, turn down the sound. And so you're not going to hear what they say. You're not even going to hear their tone of voice, which is a bit problematic because tone of voice is part of the body language, but you just look at their body language and, and facial expressions. And I'm sorry, those three presidents had a somewhat condescending and righteous body language. And, and, you know, now we're going into this whole component of intimacy, which uh, I'll get back to in, in a minute. Uh, but uh, that intimacy, that allows us to 
you know, Albert Morabian, uh, you may know Albert Morabian from, uh, he, he got famous for the book uh, Silent Messages that came out in 1971. And he's quoted for the 738.55 rule, which, you know, is one of the most misquoted rules ever because he said that uh, uh, people like other people. Later, he extended to people um, show emotions to, to other people. Uh, based on 7%, the words they use, 38%, their tone of voice, uh, 55% body language. Uh, other people interpreted that as people communicate 7%, which which is not uh, true. But uh, he, I actually went through his uh, 1968 and 1969 experiments that led to this, and, and I can challenge the numbers based on the experiments themselves. But that's, that's not the point. The point is in that book, not based on that experiment, on those experiments, he said something in the introduction to the book, you know, the pages that still have Roman page numbers instead of uh, uh, the standard numbers. He said, when our words contradict the silent messages contained within them, others mistrust what we say. And when I look at the body language of those three presidents, and, and I looked at the body language of some of the other apologies that were on video, I can see the insincerity there. And if they're insincere, we don't trust what they say. And that's that's an important part. Um, so first step is you have the motivation. And the motivation is what drives you to actually take the we'll call it the harmful action. So now you're taking step two, the harmful action. Step three, it blows up. Now, if you are smart, you would know that this would blow up, but maybe you weren't expecting, maybe you didn't think about that, but bottom line is it blows up. Something happens. There are consequences. If you're a politician, you lose votes. You may get censured um, in, in Congress or, or anywhere uh, that, that you're... Uh, elected to. You may get fired if you're a CEO or a university president. Most part, believe it or not, it's all about money. You're losing sponsors. So if you're an athlete, an athlete, a, a you know, a football player, and and they tend to uh, often uh, step on their tongues. Um, if you're a tennis player or or and any other athlete, don't need to list all of them now. You're going to lose sponsors and you're going to lose money. You're not going to be on commercials anymore. You're going to lose fans. You're going to lose followers. And and frankly, fans and followers in today's world of social media, they translate into money as well. So, you know, you may get fired, you may get censured, you may lose votes, you may get bad press, uh, but in most cases, it's it's really about money. It's about financial consequences of losing sponsors, fans, followers. So even when, when you get fired, you lose your salary or benefits. So the first thing is you get bad motivation. That, that's, that's what drove you to do whatever it is, your values, your intentions. Number two is the harmful action. Number three is it blows up and, and gives you consequences. And number four here comes the apology. Let's talk about the apology. So the first question I have to ask is, did you really mean what you said or what you did? 
I mean, if you did mean it, own it. One of the first steps to 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 be uh, trusted is is no bullshit, and no bullshit starts when you own what you said. Don't start saying I didn't understand, like the, the university, uh, the UPenn president, um, who said I was not focused. I wasn't focused when when I said what I said, lady. Let me give you advice. If there is a time in life when you need to be focused. It's a congressional hearing. This is when you need to be focused. Now, by the way, saying that you were not focused. So did you not prepare? Did nobody prepare you? So one morning you woke up and said, oh, I have a meeting in Washington today. Oh, okay, fine. I'll go to that meeting. We'll see how that works. Seriously? That, that's how a university president prepares to a congressional hearing. You were prepared. And by the way, it was a congressional hearing about anti-Semitism in universities. Did you really not expect a question like this to come up? Did nobody prepare you to a question like this? Because if nobody prepared you to a question like this, you need to replace the people, your public relations people. Frankly, if you didn't think about the answer, if you're not focused enough during a congressional hearing to answer a question in what today you're telling me you meant differently, one of the key components of the trust model is competence. Maybe you're not really competent to be a president university, a university president. Well, maybe I'm not too competent to be a podcast host because I can't say the words in the right order. But maybe you're just not competent enough to be a university president if, if you are not focused. And, and by the way, even the smug, condescending look on their faces, I'm going to say that they, they, it didn't feel to me like they were under too much pressure. One other thing is when I look at the uh, at the apology, do you really think differently now? You know what? Maybe you don't. Maybe you should just say, I'm, I'm sorry that, that that's I'm sorry that I hurt other people, but that's what I feel. Do you really think differently now? Is your apology genuine? And that's one of the main reasons for uh, one of the main components of the trust model, no BS. When what you say is not what you mean, when you're not genuine, that's total BS. And people are not going to trust you. Are you doing it for the wrong reason? Let's face it. Are you doing it because you started losing donors? Are you doing it because uh, you're afraid that the board is going to fire you? Are you doing it because uh, you're afraid of the lawsuits that are going to come up? What is the reason for your apology? Is it because you understand that you hurt people? Is it because you, under, you, you think differently? What is the real reason? Because if, what, if the reason you're doing is if, is if you're lying in your apology, which I'm sorry to say, and maybe I'm going to sound too disillusioned in, in our culture today, but I believe that most apologies are really lying. 
They're doing it for wrong reasons. The personality incompatibility is still there. And if the personality incompatibility is still there, if you're lying, both of those are personality, by the way, compatibility issues. Why should I trust your apology? So what I believe is happening is that you are motivated, your values are different than mine, you did a harmful action, it blew up in a way that hurts you or potentially hurts you, and for the most part it's probably a matter of money, and you give an insincere apology. Not because you really believe that, that you hurt people, but just because you want to somehow undo the consequences. Are you driven to the apology because you hurt someone? And that, by the way, is the component of, of empathy. Or are you doing it because the consequences hurt you? Think about that. The worst thing, in my opinion, is that the world keeps going on. We keep having people do things for the wrong reasons, and they apologize not because they hurt people, but rather because they were hurt by the consequences of what they've done. And you know what it does? It continuously causes the decline of trust in our culture. Well, so I got emotional during this episode, but but it wasn't for because of anti-Semitism. It wasn't because of what's happening, you know, and happened and is happening in Israel. It was really because I'm really, really upset with this cycle of doing something wrong and then apologizing not because you hurt someone, but apologizing because you got hurt by the consequences, or you're trying to prevent getting hurt by the consequences. It causes the loss of trust. That's what bothers me right now, and this is why I was emotional. Okay, this is the end of the episode. Now, given that the holidays are coming, this is going to actually be the last episode of season 11. So typically I have 12 episodes per season, uh, but you know what? It's been a while since I took a vacation, and not that I'm planning a lot of uh, time off, but I do need to complete a few tasks that I couldn't get to during the year. Uh, I need to do some planning for next year, and you know, I do want to spend some time with my family. Most of my family are teachers, so they're going to take the winter break, and I can spend some time with them. And you know what? I earned that. Now, I think that I'm going to do the same every end of the year. So the first three seasons of every year will have 12 episodes each, then one week break. That's what I've been doing for the last couple of years. But the last season of every year is only going to have 11 episodes, and I'm going to take two weeks break. Plus, you know, next week uh, it, it, we're going to have Christmas, and a lot of people are going to take off. I mean, workplaces are going to shut, be shut down, and I don't want to bother you with, uh, let's listen to one more episode so that we're not going to miss. And I don't want you to miss another episode. So uh, the last week, of, the last um, not semester, the last quarter, of the year, the last season is only going to have 11 episodes and two week break. And the next episode is going to be the first episode of season 12. It will air on January 2nd, that's a Tuesday, right after the beginning of the new year. 
In the meantime, if you do want to listen to more, take a look at episodes that you may have missed or episodes that you want to hear again. Some of the episodes may require a second a second listening. I think that even today's episode does. Um, I did my best to have good descriptive titles for the different episodes. So that would allow you to find what you're looking for relatively easy. And I already told you that most of the episodes, I actually also not exactly transcribe, make it shorter, uh, like a three to five minute read uh, in my blog. So you can find it in my blog in yoramsolomon.com slash blog or trusthabits.com slash blog. Now, if you have any questions about trust inside of organizations, outside of organizations, with customers, with friends, with lovers, if you have any ideas for trust topics that you want to hear about, just reach out to me at Yoram, Y-O-R-A-M, at thetrustshow.com. And I'll try and record an episode to address that specific topic. So, between now and the first episode of Season 12, have a great end of the year. Enjoy your time off. Recharge. And I'll see you, or more likely I'll speak to you, on January 2nd. Until then, may trust be with you. This was The Trust Show. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops, online courses, books, or go to my website, trusthabits.com. And remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.